Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And of course, you know, to see Joseph in the very position of being a ruler over Egypt, that was something. That was really something, and he wasn't just going to turn his back on that. Actually made Jacob very, very happy as well, you know, because then he could say, my son, the ruler, you know. (laughs) Most Jewish parents want to say, my son, the doctor, my son, the lawyer. But Jacob could say, my son, the ruler. As I told you last weekend, I met my friend's uh, son was getting married. And anyway, his wife, she she had, from her first husband died, she she had three sons. And uh, she talked so much before about her three sons who I'd never met before, you know. And, you know, this son was the terrific speaker. He was also a rabbi, but terrific speaker. And the other two sons were just, uh, you know, uh, Bill Gates, Galloway, whizzes and business, you know. It was on and on. And I finally met him, you know, their three sons and the mother were standing there. And I said, you know, you know, your mother here talks about you like the fisherman talks about the fish. (laughs) I've seen this, right? Anyway, but the point is, is that Joseph promised Pharaoh that he's going to save Israel. And to keep that promise took a lot of work, a life work, as a matter of fact, was a life work for Joseph. And that meant that his whole lifetime, Joseph just could not stay where he wanted to with his family there in Goshen. It was a great sacrifice for Joseph, and Joseph made that sacrifice when he left them all and went back to work. I mean, can't you just see that? You know, as Joseph is getting all his family together in the lap of luxury, Joseph's talking to his brothers. Now, you look, you boys, you boys enjoy yourselves here in the best of the land. I got a lot of work to do that I'm going to do. But I made this promise to Pharaoh that I'm going to save Egypt, and I got to keep my promise. So you boys enjoy yourself. I'm just sorry that I can't join you, but I got a lot of work to do. Now, when we picture and hone in on that scene of Joseph doing that, getting his family situated in the best of the land, and then sacrificially leaving them to go back to work, that's a picture for us of our Lord Jesus Christ. And many of the saints have passed into heaven, like Billy Graham now, and the saints are in heaven. And just as Joseph wanted to stay with his family in the best of the land, you know, of Egypt, so the Lord Jesus, well, yeah, we can imagine him wanting to stop working, just enjoy the company of the saints, that are now in heaven, just like Joseph's family was in the best there of the land of Egypt, but just like Joseph, who sacrificially went back to work to keep his promise to Pharaoh, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has done as he's gone back to work. You know, Joseph made a promise to Pharaoh to save Egypt, and the Lord Jesus Christ made a promise to God the Father to save all those that were given to him and he talked about that promise, and he said in, in John 6.39, John 6.39, when he said, this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all that he hath given me, that I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. 
See, so you think about that, you know, to, to not lose any believer, to raise up every believer at the last day, that's a promise. That's a promise that the Lord Jesus made to the Father. That takes a lot of work. Some of us more work than others. And that can't be done by just turning his back on the earth and just say, well, you know, I'm gonna spend time with the people who have come to heaven now. I mean, that was a promise he made to the Father to not lose any. I'm not gonna lose any. And, and that's what he said in another verse in John 640, the next verse, John 640, John 640. This is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him or believeth into him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. So that's a promise again. It's another promise. He says that every person who has called on his name, who God the Father has revealed to that person who the Lord Jesus is, that the promise is that he says for every one of those, the Lord Jesus says, I'm gonna give every one of those everlasting life. I promise to do it. And not only that, in other words, he's saying everyone who, who God the Father has revealed that Jesus is the Messiah and God, he's saying, you know, he says, I'm gonna step right in and I'm gonna give him everlasting life. And not only that, I'm gonna raise him up at the last day. I'm gonna raise him, the Lord Jesus says, I'm gonna raise him up at the last day. That's a promise that he made to the Father. It takes a lot of work, and it can't be done by turning his back on, on all and saying, you know, I just wanna spend time with people who are in heaven now. So the Lord Jesus spoke of every believer as a gift from the Father, and he said they're gonna come to him, and he's gonna receive every single one of them. He said that in John 6.37, John 6.37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Again, he's on the lookout. He's on the lookout for everyone that's ready to receive him, and he says, I'm not gonna cast him out. That's a promise that he made. It takes a lot of work. So that's the picture that we're looking at here with Joseph because he's turning his back from Goshen now to go do the work of, of, of ruling and taking care of Egypt to save Egypt from starvation. I mean, just think of it. For the rest of his life, for the rest of Joseph's life, he is going to put on a self-denial of living down there in Goshen with his family. And because he, he for the rest of his life, he's going to do the work of the rulership in Egypt. He's not going to retire with his family. That's Joseph. That He, he was always conscious. It was a, That's Joseph. He was always very conscious of the work that was committed to him of the promise that he made. He was a promise keeper. That's Joseph. That's part of who he is. Because Joseph really wanted, with all of his heart, to be able to finally report to Pharaoh, I accomplished the mission. That's what he wanted to say to, to Pharaoh. I did it. So the Lord Jesus always wanted to tell God the Father that he had accomplished the mission. And that's what he finally did in John 17, John 17, 12. John 17, 12, the Lord Jesus said to God the Father, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me have I kept. None of them is lost, save the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So all this keeping of the believers that God the Father had given to the Lord Jesus, that took a lot of work. A lot of work is a big promise. And just as we see Joseph here, he's going out all throughout the land of Egypt there, and he, and now he's going to be buying all, he's taking up, he's gathering all the money, and then he's going to be buying all the cattle, and he's going to buy all the lands and the persons, and then he's going to, he's going to feed them all, feed the cattle too, and he's going to redistribute all the people, and that's a lot of work. That's a life work, and that's what he did. So we see in scripture all the work that the Lord Jesus is doing now, 
When we read in Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 7.25 is just a, a verse about work when it says, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. It's a lot of work, you know, ever liveth to make intercession for them. It's a lot of work. He's monitoring every aspect of our lives. And that means he sees the trouble before we see the trouble. That's a good thing. But he sees the trouble way in front of us. And having foreseen the trouble that we don't see, he's already working. He's working hard, interceding. So what happened with Peter? Peter, he saw this great trouble that Peter didn't know anything about. Peter was sitting there saying, oh, everybody's going to deny you, not me. You know? But he said, oh, whoa, whoa, if you could only see what's in front of you. He said in, in Luke twenty two thirty one. Luke twenty two thirty one. the Lord said, Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired you that he might sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So the Lord's referring there to Peter's denial of the Lord in that terrible period in in Peter's life. And it it wasn't just Peter being in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, and he died the Lord. That was carefully being orchestrated by Satan, you know, which damsel was going to be where at what time, you know, which fire pit he was going to, Peter was going to be, all very carefully orchestrated by Satan, desiring to get Peter to deny the Lord, sift him as wheat, as the Lord said. And the only reason that he came through, Peter came through and repented in those trials was because of the hard work of the Lord when he says in Luke twenty two thirty two, Luke twenty two thirty two, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. It's a lot of work. Prayer is a lot of hard work. And if we doubt that, we just have to remember in Exodus, that whole history in Exodus 17 with the battle of Israel and Amalek in Exodus 17. And you can see all the hard work that prayer is when it says in Exodus 17:10, Exodus 17:10, Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, Hur went up to the top of the mountain. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the same. So that was quite a scene there. I mean, there's Israel down there in the valley, and they're fighting this, fighting to death, this war with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur are up there on the top of the hill. They're overlooking the battle down below, and Moses holds out his hands, how long can you hold your hands out? I can't hold out my hands out that long, but anyway. And hold out his hands like that, and, and which was symbolic of prayer. And when he does that, they look and they say, hey, keep your hands held out there. Israel's winning now. It was, you know, was the word that came back. And, you know, Moses says, okay, how long is that battle going to last? Is it over yet, guys? No, not yet. Keep them up there, you know. But finally, you know, Moses says, oh, I can't do this anymore. Oh, no, don't do that. Amalek's winning. Oh, okay, you know. Anyway, so it just showed. And then they finally, you know, said, we got to do something for him. You know, Moses, you know, got to have a place for him to sit down, which would be the first thing that I would ask for, you know. But anyway, and then after that, you know, hold up his hand, see. And all of that is very symbolic of prayer, that prayer is hard work. It's a tough job. Yeah, you could do it in the beginning. That's fine, you know. But to keep it up, that's hard work. So when it says that the Lord Jesus is ever living to make intercession for us, that means he's ever working to make intercession for us. That's a lot of hard work. 
But the Lord Jesus is also a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. Joseph in this chapter is a promise keeper. So we see this. Now that's a challenge for us when we see all this keeping a promise and a lot of work, you know, that we should be promise keepers also. Like the hymn says, we sing sometime. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend. I shall not fear the battle if thou be by my side, nor wander from the pathway if thou wilt be my guide. Now there's going to be a price. There's a price to pay for being a promise keeper, just as there was for Joseph. The price was he couldn't be with his family down there. I remember some time ago, I was a Sunday, and I went outside, and I was seeing how beautiful this particular Sunday was, which a lot of them are, you know. <laughs> and I thought to myself, boy, it'd be nice to just be out here all day. And, you know, I love to go through that magic moment when the day, you know, kind of gets to dusk and then it gets dark. That's really nice. And I was thinking to myself, no, but I got a lot of work to do. I got to go teach all these people in Sunday school. You know, and then, and then Sunday evening. But, you know, Joseph is an encouragement because as far as Joseph was concerned, as far as all of us concerned, there's a rest coming. There's a rest coming, and it tells us that in Hebrews 4.9. Hebrews 4.9 says, there remaineth a rest to the people of God. That's such an encouragement just to meditate on that word, remaineth a rest for this to the people of God. Now, I'm talking about passing away, and that's fine, but there is a rest that really this verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 4.9 is referring to that the world knows nothing about. And this rest is in the Lord Jesus. When it says, when he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Matthew eleven twenty eight, when he said these words, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. So this is a soul rest. So the rest that remains of the people of God is a secret rest. It's a secret rest that's found in the Lord Jesus. And really, when, when Hebrews 4.9 is saying, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, it's speaking about this in contrast to those who are trying to get to heaven by doing good, good works. It's a contrast to those who are trying to keep the law, keep the law. So, I, you know, I told you this last weekend, my friends in Jewish ultra-Orthodox for a wedding in Canada where there were several hundred Jewish Orthodox. Boy, did I feel like I was out of place. But, I mean, all the laws they have to keep. First of all, it starts with, uh, well, you can't eat breakfast. You can't come to the kitchen here. We're going to have a separate room in a hotel. We're all going to have come for breakfast where the kosher baker is going to come and bring us kosher chocolate croissants which were very good, and kosher fruit. I don't know how you do that, but anyway, it was all there. And so there was all kinds of laws for what can and cannot be eaten, and the clothing with the, the hats and everything, and all the laws of prayer and where, when you pray and what direction you have to be praying and what you wear and so forth. And as a matter of fact, all these prayers, they all start out with a very interesting it's, it all goes like this, you know, Baruch Atadonai Eloheinu Melech Olam, which is blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe. But then it says, Asher Kirishano B'mitzvotov. So Asher Kirishano B'mitzvotov, that's interesting because Asher Kirishano means who has sanctified us. Asher Kirishano means who has sanctified us. B'mitzvotov means by his commandments. 
He has sanctified us by his commandments. That's what it means. And when you live like that, surrounded by 613 Jewish laws, which I've never heard anybody repeat or recite or even give me a list of, I'm sure they exist somewhere. That's a lot of work. And there's no rest. There's no rest because to live like that is to be under a debt or an obligation that's spoken of in Galatians 5.3. Galatians 5.3 speaks about a life like that when it says, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You know, the law is not a smorgasbord. (laughs) You know, know, come to the law and you say, well, I think I'll have a little bit of this. Not like that. A little bit of that. It's not like that. See, to live by the law means that you have to live by all the law. You have to eat it all. Yeah. A debtor to do the whole law. There's not much rest there. There's not much rest there. That's why Hebrews 4.9 is so important when it says, there remaineth a rest to the people of God. That means that as opposed to a life of asher kiddushan ob mitzvotav, you know, sanctified by keeping commandments, the people of God are sanctified by the blood of the Lord Jesus, and that's rest. That's rest for the soul. That's why when you look at the whole of that, Hebrews 4.9, there remaineth therefore a rest of the people of God. You look at Hebrews 4.9, for together, Hebrews 4.9 and 10 together, then it comes out like this. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. So all this means a freedom from a life of asher kiddushano b'mitzvotav. It's all a freedom from having to be sanctified by keeping God's commandments, ceased from his own works, Hebrews 4.10. Hebrews 4.10, ceased from his own works. Now, we read in, in verse 13, it says, in Genesis 47, don't forget, we are studying Genesis here. Hebrews 47.13, there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land, that the land of Egypt, all the land of Canaan, fainted by reason of the famine. I mean, we just to, just need to let those words sink a little bit, sink in a little bit. They fainted by reason of the famine. It means this was very dire. So very dire when it says that there was no bread in all the land. I mean, can you imagine the growling stomachs and the hungry looks on everybody's eyes? Are they going to look? They don't even have to ask the question. Do you have any bread? Do you have any food? You know, you have any food? Is there anything in your pocket? And they just could see the answer. No, I don't have any food. That's the picture in verse 13. There was no bread in all the land. And these people are really on the verge of literally starving, starving to death. They're on the verge of that. And this happened somewhere between the fourth and the, the sixth year of the famine. You know, the fourth and sixth year of the seven-year famine. And what's interesting here is that the people waited till this point of desperation before they came to Joseph. Isn't that a picture of man in this life? I mean, man goes through hard times and he says, it's all right, I can uh, uh, grin it, stiff upper lip, and I'll bear it myself, I'll take care of it. I have what it takes to get me through this. I'll be just fine, I'll be just fine, I've got it all. And they don't turn to God. And they just rely on themselves. And just like the Egyptians, they didn't come to Joseph at the start. But then there comes this point of desperation this point when then he turns to God to help me and and he says, oh God, I can't do this. Please help me. And that's just like the Egyptians had to come to this point of desperation, the point of fainting by reason of the famine. Then they turned to Joseph for help. Now, why did they end up this way? Why did this happen 
to the Egyptians? Well, you know, because they just didn't listen to Joseph. They didn't believe him. They didn't listen. He gave him the warning. He said, you know, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, seven years of famine. It's a warning. So they knew how much food they consumed in a year, and they knew how much extra food they needed to store up for the seven years, but they didn't. No one in Egypt listened to, to, to Joseph when he warned them about the coming famine. Think about Paul's journey with the ship when he was a prisoner on the ship, and no one listened to him either when he said, stay in this harbor. Don't go sailing off now. In Acts 27.10, Acts 27.10, he said unto them, Sirs, I, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which are spoken by Paul. They didn't believe Paul. They didn't believe him. Then they leave, and the terrible storm comes, and which eventually destroyed the ship. But Paul stands up in, in Acts 27, 21, Acts 7, 27, 21, after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And it's just like today, because the gospel really contains a warning. You know, in John three sixteen, it's wonderful that it starts off with the love of God. Most people just hear about the love of God. God so loved the world. But the end of it, it's a strong warning when it said, whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a warning. That's a warning that if a person doesn't believe into the Lord Jesus, he's going to perish by being cast into hell, which is not annihilation. And so it brings us back to the question, why didn't the Egyptians believe? Why didn't they believe the warning that Joseph gave him about the seven years of famine, which is the same question today? Why don't people today believe the warning that they're going to be cast into hell as a destiny of everyone who doesn't believe in the Lord? What would you say is the reason why people today don't believe, really believe the warning of being cast into hell? What would you say? So there's no cliff we can take people over to the other say, look over there. See that? That's hell, you know, <laughs> and you're going to be cast into there. We can't do that. And the other one is, is as you say, well, we don't know when. It's sort, of, it's sort of in this ethereal maybe because people today really have a baseless hope, this ethereal someday. And the baseless hope is described for us very accurately in Isaiah 56, 12. Isaiah 56, 12 is actually a God is letting us hear this conversation of this baseless hope. When it says in Isaiah 56, 12, come ye, say they, I will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. Now here's the baseless hope. And tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. See, that's the basis of hope. Tomorrow shall be as this day. You know, it's the San Diego hope. You know, San Diego hope. We live in San Diego. Today's a beautiful day. And the weather person will get up and say, tomorrow's going to be just like today. And God says, there is another day that's approaching. And the Bible calls this day an appointed day in Acts 17.31. Acts 17.31 says, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. See, one day there's going to be a tomorrow that will not be as this day. And one day there's going to be a day appointed by God in which he's going to judge, and the judge is going to be by the Lord Jesus who he raised from the dead.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 